Our text this morning is taken from uh, Genesis chapter 3 as we continue our study of the first uh, several chapters of Genesis. Uh, Now, the reason we write it in your bulletin uh, is because we believe this is God's Word. There's power in the written Word. And uh, so follow with me as we read uh, God's Word, this very, very important text. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat in all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word is truth from the very beginning to the very end. It is your word. And it reveals everything that we need to know concerning faith and practice. Father, we need your Holy Spirit. I know I do. Father, for I am a sinner speaking to sinners. And so, Father, I pray that you would assist me to speak And Father, give grace for all of us to hear the truth of your word, to see the beauty of Christ, and to submit to the lover of our souls, one who loves us as no one would if they knew us as we know ourselves, and especially as you know us. Father, you know as a minister of the gospel, it's always my desire every Sunday that lives would be changed, not just the unbeliever who might be here. But Father, for us as believers to grow in a knowledge of the gospel in such a way that it would melt our hearts that can be so hardened, even if we've known you for a long time. So God, we pray for your mercies and your grace today. We pray that we would see Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. Uh, Someone has said this wisely. They said the Bible should be preached in thirds. In the third chapter of John, Jesus tells us this morning that if you are to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And then as you go to the third chapter of Romans, uh, Paul is very clear that a man shall not be justified by works 
And ladies and gentlemen, trust me, your greatest need, if you don't know Christ today, is to be justified. That's your greatest need. So you're not justified by works. That's what our text said in Galatians. As a matter of fact, if you're trying to do that, I think the text said you're under a curse. If you start off with the law, you might as well do the whole thing. But he said a man is justified by a righteousness that comes from God, which is through Jesus Christ, who's the second Adam. But then the third chapter is the third chapter of Genesis that we just read. Because you see, the third chapter sets before us this morning the problem. And it tells us this morning that everyone in here needs the promised seed of the Messiah that's made in our text this morning. We just finished the uh, Advent. And uh, we're reminded of, of God sending His Son, the second Adam, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the man from heaven, not the man of the earth, born of a woman, fully God and fully man. But John tells us in 1 John 3, 8, why He came. 1 John 3, 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. If you're visiting this morning, uh, we've been studying the first chapters of Genesis. Because as we, we look at the first chapters of Genesis, it tells us exactly why you're a mess. And why the world that we live in is a mess. Empirical evidence has shown from generation to generation that man can't save himself. We try to save ourselves. We try to solve the problems of the world. And, and every young generation that comes in, it's like, we're going to change the world. We're going to save the world. I remember that in my, in my uh, early days in the, in the um, for lack of a better term, the hippie movement, that we're going to bring peace and love in the world. But from generation to generation to generation, all the empirical evidence is that we cannot save ourselves. Now let me tell you why we can't save ourselves. It's because we're the problem. Man cannot collectively solve his problems if at the heart of every single individual in this room, sitting in a seat, has a heart that is bent toward evil. Now, if you're young, one of the things that, if you go to the movies, it tells you to follow your heart. No, because it doesn't have any truth that's out there. There's not some standard or something that says, hey, there's an authority. This is how I should live my life. And so what do you do? You follow your heart. Now let me tell you, for us who are older, when all of a sudden all the seeds that you have sown by following your heart begins to manifest themselves, you begin to see in the long run that it's got you into a lot of trouble, right? How many of you younger people have already followed your heart, your juniors and and, uh, at University of Georgia. And you came here, and you believed the gospel, but then you began to question the gospel, and then you began to sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and then you got pregnant, and then I could go right on down the line because you followed your heart. Oh, man, this is great. 
Let me tell you what Jeremiah says about the heart and following your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Your heart and my heart is deceitful. And that's not only true if you're not a believer. That's true if you are a believer. To some level, our our hearts are deceived. As Woody Allen uh, Allen said, uh, that a heart wants what a heart wants. And this morning, I I want us to look just at two things. I want us to see something of the heart of man. This is very clear in our text. And it will speak to you this morning. But also, I want us to see something of the heart of God. To see the great contrast between the two. Now, if you're here for the first time, uh, maybe you're visiting a friend, maybe you're here for the baptism. If you're willing to admit that something's desperately wrong, something's wrong with me, at my very core, that I cannot heal myself I cannot reform myself. And the more I try to reform myself, the worse I feel about myself. I started my New Year's resolution. But you know what? I really don't want that resolution. I want what I want. And if you look at the world that's around you, not only the third world where there's misery because of sin and corruption, but if you look at the world that's here on the West and the affluence, And you see that all the self-help books might help you in some parts, but in the sum of the whole, they cannot help us. They cannot help mankind. Then I want you to consider that our text clearly explains the reason why we cannot heal ourselves. You cannot heal yourself. You cannot heal yourself. And I'm not only speaking to you if you're not a believer, I'm speaking to you if you're believers and you've gone down all this course of spirituality that rather than pointing you in humility to Jesus and who He is and what He's accomplished on your behalf, there is drudgery and misery in your life. For all of us who drink deeply of what our text is teaching, it's important for you to see this text and it's very important for you to hear me. This is not a myth. This is not a legend. It's not a metaphor. It's not a, not a, not a, uh, a parable. What we have here is history. Now, let me, why, why do I think it's history? Because all the scholars will tell you that these are prose. And for a moment, for a moment, you've got to, some, in your mind, consider that there really was a real Adam and an Eve. Because you see, all the writers of the New Testament, including Jesus, who's the Son of God, points to this text as to the problem that we have. Now, one last thing before I hit my two points. Who wrote this text? And what is the context? It's just a religious book that some guru went out there and wrote when he was 
on some kind of spiritual high. Now let me tell you, Moses wrote this book. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. In fact, I can tell you that there are, there are scholars uh, that are less orthodox than me who have over the years come to that conclusion that this is written by one author. Now, there are redactors that are there. Now, why is that important to think that Moses wrote Genesis? Let me tell you why. Because of the context. You know the context of Genesis is? In, in Genesis 12, God called Abraham, and he said, through your seed, the same seed that we'll look at later, through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. But he also told Abraham that for 430 years, your people will be in captivity. The Israelites will be in captivity in Egypt. And the reason is so that the fullness of, of the Ammonites and the Perizzites and their wickedness might be full. And then I will bring you in as my people, the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. To bring judgment. Well, that was not exactly their agenda, right? If you've read anything about the Old Testament, uh, what you see in the Old Testament, and what you see uh, if you read the book of Numbers, the book of Exodus, they were wanting to go back to Egypt. Have you read that? They want to go back. And what, what Moses is saying wait, wait a minute, you want to go back to slavery. But in reality, what you want to do is go back to some kind of freedom that doesn't exist backwards because when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, there was a sword that was there. And the only way to get back into the garden is through someone who's willing, a greater than Moses, to fall upon that sword. And so they want to go back. Now let me give you an example of, of how you might be that way. And I'm just going to be real practical here. You know, I, I think health care is a very important thing. I, I, thankfully, I have health care. But maybe you stay in the company that you hate. Maybe you don't like your job. Maybe you don't like your boss. Uh, maybe you really feel like God might be calling you to, to, you know, carry out the gifts that you've been given. But you won't do that. Why? Because there's safety. Because you have health insurance. Now, am I asking you to not have health insurance? I'm not. I, I like health insurance. But is that not in some ways to be practical? These things that hinder us, that keep telling us to go back to what's familiar with us, what's safe for us, rather than believing the gospel. Yeah, I'm not going to give him my annuity this year. You know why? Because I haven't been tithing. You know what? I'm going to start believing God's word. He will take care of me even if I have nothing at the end of my life. And so that's the context so he's saying you really want to go back to the garden. And let me tell you, this story is your story. For everybody in here. Because there is such thing as original sin. Uh, we are united to our first parents and their sin and their rebellion. Let me tell you how awesome that is if you really believe that. Some of you might go, well, that's not fair. Well, I don't want to address that issue right now, but I will say this. If we're all sinning at them, then that means we can't blame the Democrats for our problem. Because we're as bad as the Democrats. 
or if you're a Republican, or if you're a Democrat. We can't blame the Republicans. We can't blame uh, progressives. Progressives can't blame conservatives, traditionalists. What original sin says is that we are united to Adam in his death. And if you're united to Adam in his death, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you're still dead. And that kind of levels the playing field, doesn't it? You know, hey, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of of someone else to help me. So what are the two points? Well, let me tell you what we see in this this text. We see the heart of man, and then we see the heart of God. And and I'll tell you, if if the heart of God, as we look at this text, if that doesn't move you to repentance, to this unbelievable melting of the heart, your heart, because someone else had to substitute, then there's nothing's going to help you. And only the Holy Spirit can help you understand the significance of these two points. Not my points. There are a lot of points to a sermon. But here's the first thing to see, is the heart of man. Y'all see that in our text when you, when you look to the text? Now let me give you a bit of a context. If you've been here for a while, we looked at chapter 1, and, and chapter 1 says that God created everything ex nihilo, uh, the whole material universe, because God spoke. It's not the transcendent material universe. God said, let there be and there was. God said, let there be and there was. God said, let there be and there was. And I'll just say this as an aside, the same parallel as in the New New Testament. You cannot be recreated in Jesus Christ because that's God's ultimate purpose was not the creation but the recreation unless the Holy Spirit speaks and opens your eyes to your doom. But but God spoke, spoke and the world came into existence. And you know that everything that He said after He created, it is good. And then it says that he created us male and female. He created us. Distinctions. Male man and female man. And I've been, people laugh at me when I say that, but that's what the Hebrew says. Male man and female man. But what's amazing about this uh, is that male and female were created to reign as vice regents. Now imagine the Jewish people who've been slaves. And they've been taught the whole time that the reason you exist is because the junior gods were getting ready to rebel against the senior gods. And so the senior gods created human beings to do the work for the junior gods. Slaves. That's it. Imagine that mindset. And now here is Moses writing true history. And they're saying, wait a minute. We're created male and females in the image of God. How did he make them? Uh, He made them holy, righteous, and happy. And he made them to be like God in his communicable attributes, holy, righteous, justice, just, and this, that, and the other. And by the way, anytime you have a good friend, they're probably being like God, right? Faithful, 
Tell you the truth. Tell it like it is. Versus the friend who's not like that. They're more like the devil. They lie to you. They say one thing and do another. And so God made us in his image. But part of the way that he made us in the beginning is he made us with free will, freedom. Now let me ask them, do we think we'll talk about, a lot about freedom in America? We do, don't we? Why? Because we don't have all these restrictions upon us. There's, and people die to come to America. Why? Because it's in those freedoms that we can kind of accomplish what we want to accomplish. And so he made us holy and righteous and he made us happy and he made us good. And he made us like God in that God always makes the right choice because he's God. But when he created man to make sure that we're not robots, he said, your liberty will only be in the context of the law that I've given. And guess how many he gave, guys, ladies and gentlemen? If you think God's unreasonable right now, we'll talk about that in a minute. He gave one. You know, I, you know why we have so many laws today? It's because on the one hand, we, we like the freedom, we like the liberty that's there, don't we? Uh, that we talk about that. But we have to have a lot of law, laws because you know what? You on the third row, your liberties might be affecting the person on the fourth row. Can I give you an example of that? Um, and again, I'm just trying to get us to understand what, how great the fall is. But I was watching a Netflix documentary. I tried to look the guy's name up. But has anybody seen the Netflix documentary of the guy that was a daredevil that jumped off all kind of cliffs and with his skis and parachuted? Anybody seen that? Nobody? Okay, well, you probably... I see that hand. <laughs> it was amazing. I was fascinated. I was glued. And I'm thinking, this is a great guy. I liked him. He was, you know, he's great. And it, man, I, I would never do that. I would never do that. But man, he loved it, man. And then he married this gal, and he said, now, if I, now you need to understand something that I, I'm going to do this. And, and what was amazing, Red Bull is doing this documentary like over a two or three year period of his life. And so he gets married, and she loves it, and she goes with him, and he's jumping off all this stuff. And then they had a daughter who's two years old um, at the time of his death. So he's jumping off all this cool stuff. And then one day, you're watching, and he jumps off some mountain in Italy, and the next thing you know, boom, he's gone. Finished. And I thought to myself, well, that's great that he's doing what he did. And then they interviewed his wife, and his wife said, well, he died doing what he wanted to do. And she chose to go in that situation. But then I'm sitting there looking at this little two-year-old girl. <laughs> And I'm thinking, for all his liberties, she'll never have a dad to raise her, to train her, to teach her, to protect her from the wrong kind of guys, to go to her proms, to help her through college. So we had, we had our liberties. Adam and Eve had their liberties. God is good. He's gracious. He enters into a covenant with them. I mean, it's very interesting. You go to chapter 1, it talks the name of Elohim God, the God. And then you go to chapter 2, when he creates Adam, he, he reveals himself as Yahweh, the same name that Jesus identifies with himself. A covenant, personal God. 
And so God made them holy. But then last week, we saw that they had the ability to mutate. Do you understand that? God can't mutate because His nature is not to mutate. But human beings, if we're to be created in the image of God, then our lives will find their freedom as we grow in a knowledge of who God is. But they sinned. And when they sinned, two things happen. And it's repeated over and over and over again. What is the two things that happen? The first thing you see is that they, they run and they hide. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Sinclair Ferguson, who's a wonderful Scottish minister, says at this point that because of sin, we live in a world that has been poisoned by a profound alienation. You know what the first alienation is? Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it is your alienation from God. And how did that alienation begin? It was through the temptation that he's really not that good. God is holding back from you. He knows in the day that you partake, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so, they broke God's law. Just just one. And the reality of what they had done was the awareness of their nakedness. And so they go and they hide. Now I'll tell you, I've been a pastor for 30 years. And one thing I've discovered is that we all are hiding from each other. I don't care how good your marriage is. I don't care if you're a Christian, you love Jesus Christ. And there's a oneness you have. Let me tell you, you better be concerned about who you marry because that person at some level is going to figure who, who you really are. So I take vows, but you know what? But you know what? Nobody ever wants to be known that closely. And so here Adam and Eve were to have known God and grown and moved toward Him and moved toward Him. And the more they moved toward Him, the more they would have seen He's good. And the less likely they would have sinned because when the temptation came, it would have been that much more heinous because they discovered the goodness of God. And so you see, we hide. So we're alienated from God, and so we look at things we shouldn't look at. Rather than repenting, we move away. We say things we shouldn't say about people, and so we move away. So we're alienated from God, and we're we're alienated uh, from one another. The irony is that His presence frightens rather than comforts now. Am I right about that? And so we hide. And that poison has hit all of us, hasn't it? Alienated from God, alienated from one another. Always having to either be forgiven or ask forgiveness. Do you know why it's that way? Because of what our text says. There's real sin, and we all sin in Adam. 
And not only are you united to his original guilt, but his corruption proceeds. But notice the second thing that happens, and here's what happens in the heart of man. It's to blame one another. You know what? We throw each other under the bus. Can I put it that way? Uh, where do we see that? We see that in that the, the God says, well, wait a minute. Rather than come and say, listen, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. First he hides. Covers himself with, uh, with fig leaves. Uh, these things that won't cover up. Matter of fact, trying to, trying to cover himself with what God created, <laughs> which is the fig leaves. Trying to cover yourself with all, all the things that God has created. Uh, to cover. But not only do we hide, but we blame one another. But the Lord, look, wait a minute. The real reason there's sin in the world is because of you. You understand that heinousness? Matter of fact, I would say this to you. If you're going, well, the reason I have a hard time believing in God is because of the evil in the world. I think you need to reverse that question and go, the reason there's evil in the world is because of me. And I need the grace of God. And so we justify ourselves. How do we justify ourselves? There's all kinds of ways we do that. We try to do it by being a good religious person. But everybody knows you're not filled with the Spirit. You know why? Because you know what religious people are all the time? Mad. Upset about this in the service. Upset about that. Upset about this. Why? Because it's a form of blaming others. To justify your sin. I'd much rather be with a guy in the temple who was beating his chest, the publican, the guy that had shafted everybody, saying, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. For he was justified. Not those who are wearing fig leaves of self-righteousness. You think you're righteous? Go read the Pharisees. And so we blame. And let me tell you another way you justify yourself is you, you remain agnostic about this. Well, I'm not really sure if I believe all that. He's just one preacher. I can go to the internet and I can watch all kinds of preachers. And who's to say? But I'm trying to tell you is this is what our text says. And so we throw each other under the bus. We say, well, I don't really know if there's a God or not. And uh, by the way, the cheapest religion there is is agnosticism. You know that? At least the atheist is committed to something. If you're an agnostic and say, well, I don't really know. I'm not really sure. You know what? You just remain in your unbelief doing what you want to do. So he justifies ourselves. Now, let me tell you the beauty of the doctrine of original sin. It says we're all this way. That we all hide. We all have our fig leaves, including your pastor. Uh, we hide ourselves in religion, church, work, projects. But down deep, you know, there's this insecurity, don't you? The things aren't right. People are going to figure me out. By the way, if you're not worried about that, you're probably pathological. You're pro- I mean, real, seriously. You think you're doing fine? Nobody else does. <laughs> you know, I tell you, one thing I do look for when we hired our pastor, I talk about the three C's, competence, uh, chemistry, and character. But you know what my definition of character is? is a man or a woman who is living in constant repentance. Lord, I need you. I'm safe with that person. Oh, we're so goofed up, aren't we? But that's in this a beautiful doctrine. The doctrine of original sin is true. You know what? We're, we're all, we're all 
We can't point our finger at any race, any group of people. We're all dying out of We're all sinning out of Now, one last thing, and that is to see the heart of God. Man, what a different heart. And I really want you to hear this. Let's take a minute before we come to the Lord's Supper. I want you to see the heart of grace and the heart of mercy. You might go, what's the difference? Mercy is grace and grace is mercy. No, it's not. No, it's not. Grace is the thing that's inherently in the nature of God to start the process of mercy. Not enough that he's just gracious. Oh, God is so gracious. Boy, we need grace. We need some. Oh, just forgive me. So we see Adam and Eve running. Romans says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And we see it right there in the beginning. And I'll tell you, I, I, listen, I tell you, I, I don't care how much you say you believe in Jesus, if you're running all the time and you're not seeking him and seeking his grace and his mercy, I don't care how righteous you are. You're running from God. And by the way, when you're running away, you're not connecting with anybody else. We move toward Christ, we all start getting connected. How do we get to get connected? We need grace. We need mercy. Where do we see God's grace? Well, we see that God pursues man. But the Lord God called the man and he said, where are you? Let me tell you something. Grace always begins that God takes every one of you in this room and he'll meet you exactly where you are. Now, if you're, like if you're an atheist today, maybe you're here and you, or you're an agnostic. Let me tell you what. That's okay with God. He'll take you where you are, but be ready. It's like C.S. Lewis said, people say, if only God would show up, if he'd only show up. And his response to that is, well, what are you going to do when he does? You know what you're going to do? You're going to repent. And you're going to give your whole life to him. So grace pursues. Men run. This is why I'm a reformed Presbyterian. Because I believe we're dead in our sins. And I know there are people who have been hearing me preach probably for 10 or 15 years, and you're still dead in your sins. Because you're running. But you say, what is the difference between grace and mercy? Well, God is pursuing. He's asking the questions. And by the way, listen, if you want to share the gospel with somebody, if you're a Christian, please find out where they are first. Like, ask them where they are. So start sharing with them and they say, hey, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but my mother died yesterday. My brother committed suicide. Oh, I'm sorry. Who is this person? God knows. But mercy... What is mercy? Mercy is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You notice that God doesn't ask Satan the questions. He pronounces the curse. But in that curse upon Satan, who is the great deceiver, he promises a savior. And, I, you know, time does not afford me to go through all the reasons that this is pointing to Jesus Christ. But one thing is very clear. It says that Satan will bruise his heel, but the seed will crush his head. And let me tell you the whole thing in the Old Testament. You want to understand the Old Testament? Is Satan 
trying to get rid of that seed. Noah's flood, barrenness of Abraham. Uh, people are multiplying uh, in Egypt. Kill all the male children. All you have to do is read that. It's amazing. It all ties together. But you see, eventually that seed comes. And here's mercy. Here's mercy. Jesus told Peter when Peter said, oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, man, that's awesome. You're right. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that. I am the Messiah. And then he starts talking about why he's here. He said, the son of man, the second Adam, must take the curse of the first Adam. And he said, Peter, somebody has to pay. Your believing that I'm the son of God is not enough. Me being the son of God is not enough. Somebody has to pay. And you know what? There's another tree. And he went to that tree in the garden and he died on that tree. And our text tells us, cursed is everyone who dies on the tree. So here's the beauty of what original sin. Let me tell you. You are either in, Christ, in Adam and his act was your act. And you're, you're born dead. But very clearly the Bible teaches this. And all you have to do is go to Romans 9. That there's a second Adam. And he came. And God in his mercy sent his son. And in his mercy someone had to pay. And he paid. Do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in him? That you're resting not in fig leaves, not being reformed, not being Baptist, not agreeing or disagreeing with the service. But are you in him? Have you put your hope in him? Oh man, that's the gospel. And Adam were in Christ. You must be born again. Promise seed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for our text that explains why everything is so screwed up in this world and why we're so messed up. And even after we've known you for a long time, we see our constant need for our union with Jesus Christ and all his righteousness in heaven. Father, would you convert people today? Would you open their eyes? Would you cause them to see if they have been deceived? And how would they know, Lord Jesus, you said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Weary of your self-righteousness, your unrighteousness, weary of your unbelief. Oh Lord, would you call some to Christ this morning to rest in him. I ask it in your name. Amen.